I'm all for change, right? Entrepreneurs, we, we embrace change. But the reality is, this is also about peer accountability, folks. Get better, folks, if you want to be in that remaining chunk. Then we need to get ahead of that change. Yeah, and somebody's going to send me hate mail on this. Welcome to Start With a Win, where we unpack franchising, leadership, and business growth. Let's go. And coming to you from Area 15 Ventures and Start With a Win headquarters, it's Adam Contos here. This is part two of two with Coach Randy Bird, a great real estate coach. When we jump back into this interview, we talk about the real estate lawsuits, the future of the industry. Do we need as many people in the industry as we have? Let's take a look. You know, when we look, I, I don't remember the article. I don't want to name it incorrectly, but it was something I read just a couple of days ago that 49% of every of the 1.5 million agents did one deal or less. Yeah. Maybe half of those did zero. And so when we look at that, you know, we're bloated right now. Let's be honest. You and I were through the market of 2008, 9, 10, when we went from 1.5 million to 1 million approximately agents. We had a significant, you know, overturn in the uh, industry. We've bloated back up to 1.6, I think, at our highest. And now we're, you know, coming down on the numbers this year. But we're obviously having attrition in the industry and we'll continue to do so. I think that so many things have changed. And I'm going to say the word lawsuit, right? We're going to talk about that. I'd like to have a little conversation around that because I think it's changing the industry. Sure. That not only is it rattling um, the cages of many, right? I think there's so much fear because it's unknown, uncertainty, all these things that breed and, and pull into that uh, fear, you know? And that's kind of why I avoid the news. The news is made to keep you in a place of the past or the future, not in the present, right? And so when we look at that, I, I think that it would be valuable to talk about where you think the industry is going, what the future of this looks like. You literally were at the pinnacle of, you know, the top of the industry and then the, arguably one of the number one companies in the world and what Dave has created. And, um, you know, I, I think there's anytime this happens, again, it might be I'm wired differently and it might even be I'm blind, but I look at opportunity. When I see big, drastic, crazy things going on, I go opportunity. There's going to be opportunity for the ones that go after it and are willing to do the work. And there's going to be the ostriches that put their heads in the sand and wait for the time to pass. You know, number one, Remax, I think was the very first one to get in front of the lawsuits. And if you can't talk about something, I, I respect that, you know, if there's something that we shouldn't go into detail of. But I remember personally, and again, it, it's a little vulnerable maybe, but in the beginning, I was like, no, we're setting precedence. And then after the fact, I'm like, okay, brilliant, you know, visionary, brilliant that they were able, that Dave or whoever was able to look in the front of that, because there's a lot of companies would love to be in your place now with, with that going on, right? What, what can you talk about? What are you willing to talk about? What, what is something that people that, you know, a significant amount of our listeners are agents and lenders and title people, what, what's going on in the industry? Where are we going? Where are we coming from? And what do you see happening in this space? So in order to, to kind of dig into that, I, I think we need to understand kind of the history of the industry. So, you know, when you have a sub-agency and how that used to operate way back in the day, and if, if, the, years, if you're, right? what's that? A hundred years or something that's been, yeah, I mean, it's right? it, it, changed. Right. So there, there are two parts to kind of how this operates. And this is all my hypothesis based upon, first of all, you know, yes, I was named in one of the lawsuits as the CEO of Remax. I was deposed, things like that. 
Um, and so I have a, a deep understanding of how mm. that whole process works. But keep in mind also that I have literally been on the phone talking to person to person, a lot of my past colleagues, a lot of the CEOs and key leaders in pretty much every real estate organization in North America since then. So I, I mean, it's that's after I left Remax, but, um, you know, just catching up with all of my friends, because right. as you know, I stayed incredibly agnostic and friendly with the entire industry. Uh, I spoke at different industry events that were not Remax based that were about helping people. I don't care who you are. It was about helping you do more and better business because I want to see the real estate industry incredibly professional and very good for those people that qualify to be in it. So, you know, I'm, I'm stressing a few of those words because I feel it boils down to, yes, we are bloated. I completely agree with you, Randy. The industry has too many people in it. When you look at the number of transactions and the number of realtors, that does not jive in my mind when it comes to, hey, can these people run a professional business? The answer is no, you can't based on the number. So what do you need to do? You need to jump into that top 20 or even 10% of the industry. And there are ways that you can do that. And a lot of that has to do with coaching and accountability and having a really good game plan that you can talk to Randy about aside from this podcast. So, um, and you know, and if Randy's not your coach, find one, there's gotta be one out there, but we can't function as an individual without being held accountable. And we can't hold ourselves as accountable as somebody else can hold us. Okay. Let's just face it, people. So let's, let's dig into the lawsuits here real quick. Um, the lawsuits came about because there's been this transition in the industry over the years where, and, and I'll say this, we've kind of gotten into this phase of learned helplessness. Okay. Mm. Learned helplessness is a psychology principle where when something's been that way for so long, you're just used to it and tolerate it. And the industry has evolved around the real estate agent who said, oh, okay, as long as I continue to make commissions and make a little more money and things like that, I'm fine with it. And we have National Association of Realtors, which when you look at the NAR, the NAR is a fabulous lobbying group who's done incredible things for housing, you know, for flood insurance, for the industry, for the real estate transaction itself in order to simplify and, you know, create some consistency in it and some uh, legal boundaries around it. But also you kind of have to wonder, okay, we still have some parts to this that are a little lower archaic. You know, MLSs, you know how long MLSs have been around, Randy? They, they were named multiple listing service in like 1907. <laughs> okay. You could pick whether or not you got in the horse-drawn carriage. I was going to say they were delivering sheets by horse-drawn carriage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's when multiple listing service, the, the term was coined. So I would encourage everybody to go out and learn about the industry. Now, during that process, you know, you got into this agency piece and there were, you know, the only people who were realtors way back in like the 70s were brokers. There were like 30,000 and your your sales agent couldn't be a realtor. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to get into the deep, deep history of this, but ultimately this thing evolved. And But the way we paid ourselves didn't necessarily evolve. They tried to fit it into how they evolved the titles and the names and agency and things like that. And I think what's happening is we're seeing this, this junction where, you know, we've got people on the outside of the industry who are trying to adjust how things are happening on the inside of the industry. And really, a lot of that happens through class action lawsuits, unfortunately. And whether or not they end up prevailing overall after appeals or whatever it might be, I think some change needs to happen. And I, I think we need to update ourselves because we're still operating 
under this principle of all these small groups sharing information where we live in a, a blockchain world now, for crying out loud, when things can be different and yeah. more updated and more secure. You know, you look at- Totally. Um, you know, this, we're talking about the supply chain of the country here. 15% of the GDP, the supply chain for 15% of the GDP for the United States. And it takes an act of God to make changes in that. I mean, how long does it take to make an MLS rule? Like one to three years for crying right, out loud? Right, right. I mean, uh, l let's uh, talk about full of bureaucracy. And I'm sorry, but lack of internal policing. And I'm just calling it out because, you know, I can read the articles just like anybody else does. And I'm not throwing stones at NAR, but let's hold up the mirror and, and be transparent with ourselves here. You're phenomenal lobbying people. But do we have we kind of not evolved as a membership organization or the only membership organization? The banking industry has like six or seven membership organizations, but you're tied to one. Yeah. Why? I, so, uh, anyhow. I, you know, what NAR's been able to accomplish for us over the years is is really protected the industry. And, and yes, you know, I'm not on one side or the other on this. I'm I'm seeing writing on the wall, basically. I think it's a perfect storm for NAR that they've really got to re-identify uh, themselves with who they are, what the value proposition is. And many of the agents that, you know, haven't been around even, even 10 years. So they don't understand what the importance of their, you know, lobbying power and their and their protection is. But I think we've got a perfect storm. I think they've really, really got to rebrand themselves or they're going to find themselves fighting a battle for survival. And that's just me, my one vote. Uh, but when you have companies, you know, saying that they can move away from NAR now, which has never been an option, companies requiring you to move away from NAR, which is, you know, within some of the brands. And uh, I think that uh, in combination with all the other you know, sexual harassment claims and different things. I, I just think it's a very challenging time for them to, to reboot. Yep. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm all for change, right? Entrepreneurs, we, we embrace change and change is good, even though it's painful and scary at, at times. Right. Well, let me ask you this, Randy. Okay. What happens when we don't change? Yeah. We don't involve, we die. Exactly. The, the, uh, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the Darwinism, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive. It's the one most adept to change. That's true. Uh, the theory of, you know, of evolution and things like that is all about adapting to the needs of the future. And if, if we're not willing to do that, then we, we have a little bit of a problem. And sometimes, you know, we, we get comfortable in our own ways and it's, it, what's the thing that agents hate the most change, change, you know, what's the other thing they hate the most accountability, you know, <laughs> but, but ultimately it comes down and that's why you're independent contractors, your entrepreneurs is you're like, I found a way, leave me alone. I'm going to, you know, don't move my cheese. I'm going to, I'm going to be good this way. But ultimately um, we've hit this, this point where change occurs so quickly in society now that we need to get ahead of that change. And I, you know, I, I hope the best for the professionals in this space. I hope those that are not engaged in the highest level of professionalism or doing this as something that shows, you know, do, let me ask you this. Do you want your heart surgeon to just be a part-timer? I mean, for crying out loud, or your attorney who's going to keep you out of prison to be a part-time. They're like, oh, no, I'm I'm working my other job right now. Let me get back to you when I have time. No. Do you want your largest investment 
to be handled by somebody who's not fully invested in that career? No. So I'm I'm a firm believer that we have some bloat. We need to trim down this industry. Yeah. It's NAR, listen to me. It's not about headcount. It's about professionalism and how effective you are at helping the consumer yeah. find their home. That's what they want and that's what they need. And we we need to make sure we're doing it the right way. And I know there's a lot of people like, oh yeah, we are, we got it. We we'll do that anyway. But the reality is this is also about peer accountability, folks. And if you're not willing to look both ways down the aisle and say, step it up or step out, then I think, okay, it's time for some, you know, some cleaning to happen within the ranks. So, um, and every business goes through this, mm -hmm. except for bureaucratic stacked businesses where they protect their past. Okay, it's great. Yeah. I retired. I hope that, you know, the next CEO of Remax is fabulous and takes these things way beyond where I was able to take it. But ultimately, leaders bring the next leaders to a point and cut them loose to go and make the change necessary for the proper evolution of a, a business. Yeah, absolutely true. I love your insight and uh, the way that you articulate it. I feel 100% the same. I, I think that we could probably stand to have 50% of the agents we have now happily paid twice as much in NAR commission or NAR uh, membership fees and things to, to supplement that. <laughs> I think that's probably the numbers where we're sustainable looking at the the annual, like you said, housing index and growth. Where, what do you see the industry going, say, in five years? Like, what excites you about the future of the industry? And uh, where do you think we are in five years? I know it's a crystal ball, but. It's a crystal ball. And I think it's going to take a few years for the uh, any and all of the litigation. You know, I think we have like 18 lawsuits going right now. Mm -hmm. But um, but ultimately, you know, we don't know anything until at least the Burnett case comes to, we find out what the injunctive relief looks like and what the DOJ is going to do and things like that. Um, and then we, we also see what the motions of the remaining defendants, you know, um, Keller Williams and Home HSA and, right. and NAR do, as well as these other follow-on lawsuits. Some of them are massive. massive. And a lot of those being sued right now, you know, that I would venture to guess the plaintiffs, attorneys in those other lawsuits outside of, you know, the, the Gibson, the Morrill, the Sitzer, and all those others um, that have been in place for the past three, four years. Um, Gibson was the new one, October 31st, I guess. That's the rest of the U.S., mm -hmm around the, uh, the Citra Burnett case. Mm -hmm. But, um, but ultimately what we're going to see is a whole bunch of attorneys come in here and pull some cash out of the industry. And I think we're going to see it on the state, the local and the MLS level, as well as the midsize brokers, the smaller brokers can't afford to, to go in and write a check. You yeah. know, you're making rent every month, you know, as the, are the midsize it's right. mar margins are squeezed in this space. Yeah. But I think what you're going to see is as that stuff all kind of plays out, we're going to see some evolution in how the business works. Um, fundamentally, the framework is going to be relatively similar, but I think you're going to see, uh, you know, the biggest change obviously occur on the, the buy side and how the buy side compensation works. But, um, but realistically five years from now, if I pulled out my crystal ball, I think we're going to see, um, you know, probably fewer and, you know, higher levels of production per agent. Um, also an increase in professionalism. We've all been yelling, raise the bar, raise the bar for so many years. Well, it, NAR always looked at it as anybody can join NAR. You just got to get your license. Right. And I mean, why is that? And the entry threshold is very low. Yeah. I think we need to raise the entry threshold. Requirements. 
Yeah. And somebody's going to send me hate mail on this going, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. happy. I'm a school teacher. I'm doing two deals a year. I'm happy. Leave me alone. I'm like, well, go work for somebody who's doing 200 deals a year and still do your two deals. Tour and coach and support. Exactly. You know, like I think four or five deals in that same bandwidth of what they're doing. Right. 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 So I, I, I think it's going to be evolved. Is it still going to be here? Are we going to still need agents and brokers and things like that? Absolutely. 100%. But I would say get better folks. If you want to be in that remaining chunk. I, I love it. I think it's Jacko that, that comes up with adversity and problems. And he goes, good. Every time you get all these challenges, say good and embrace it and know that you're part of the future of the change, right? I, what do you think uh, the small indies, to me, they're the most susceptible. The small indies that have maybe 10 to 40 agents, they don't have the protection of a franchise. They don't have the bandwidth and partnerships of a larger you know, support system. They're really on an island. And I think if it may not, and hopefully it doesn't, but if it reaches that granular of a level, where you could have just somebody that's mad at you sue your company over this and start trying to class action suit these things. I just think it could change the industry by itself. That one thing. Well, when you think about it, Randy, the, you know, there's, there are a hundred thousand brokers in the U S okay. hundred thousand brokerages for crying out loud. Now I can't see everybody, but raise your hand. If you think that's too many, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I'm sure everybody and keep one hand on the wheel. If you're listening to this while you're driving, but ultimately it comes down to, I think they're going to be at an inflection point because what, when you look at what do the larger brands give, and I don't necessarily even mean a franchise brand, but what does a larger local group give, you know, a, a midsize, if you will. Um, and they give you technology, they give you uh, more knowledge and mm -hmm. help with that, you know, the insurance and the oversight and legal advice and all of those other things. I think we're going to start to see some consolidation on the bottom end of the industry. And I think we're also going to see some people decide to say, you know what, this is getting too difficult and too expensive for me to be part of, because you're right. It All it takes is, and we're, we're seeing this, or I think we're about to see this, where you're going to have the local ambulance chasing, you know, mm -hmm. attorney go, all right, I've got precedent here. I can go after these guys. Absolutely. I'm just going to round up, uh, you know, a hundred of these these indies, they can't afford to fight me. All I have to do is file this once with everybody's name on it and then start deposing people. And as soon as these start stacking up, you know, uh, let's say you settle for 10,000 or 50,000 each on them and there's a hundred of them that adds up. Adds up. So, um, I think we're going to start to see the litigation continue to trickle down. 2024 yeah. is going to be the year of litigation in our yeah, space. I do too. And it's unfortunate because I know people that have worked their whole lives for this. I, I talked to a broker the other day, just talking about a listing and um, 28 years in the business and she's frightened. She's literally like, I'm interviewing people. I'm, I, I don't know what to do next. This is going to, if this comes to my level, we're just, we've lost 28 years to, of, you know, a legacy brand in their families and so on. Yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of concern out there in this and, and it is getting, I believe it's going to continue to get more granular. You know, what, um, when you talk about an agent that's been in the business one or two years, what advice would you give them? I mean, you are literally, you know, one of the top trainers and leaders of the industry for decades, two decades. What advice would you give somebody coming into the business one or two years? And uh, what what is it for them that's the big rocks, the, the stones that are going to be their foundational, um, you know, blueprint of their business? What's that look like? Well, there's two parts to this. There, first of all, it's 
have a business plan and have a framework for how you operate your business. A lot of people wing it in this industry. I would venture to guess that the majority of people wing it in this industry. Agreed. And, and winging it is not a business plan, folks. You know, hope is not a strategy and it won't get you someplace good. So you got to have a framework for this and, you know, find somebody like Randy or, you know, go educate yourself if, if you desire not to go seek a coach or something like that. I mean, I've had seven business coaches over my time. A business coach is incredibly yeah. invaluable. All yeah. right. I, I wouldn't operate without a coach. I mean, I, you know, I've given coaching permission to many people in my life. And what does coaching permission mean? That means you give people permission to give you feedback that you will follow. Yeah. Okay. It's not a suggestion. Just straight talk. Exactly. So framework your business is the first one. And don't just get into the skill. Am I a real estate license? I'm going to go talk to a few people. No. When you're not talking to somebody, you should be working that plan mm. and knowing that, that that plan should be on paper in a folder where somebody could walk up to you. If if I walked up and said, show me your business plan, you should be able to go, here it is. And it has everything down to daily steps and activities that grow your business, period. And how you're functioning with your funding and, you know, mm. how how do you manage your expenses and your revenue and things like that? So that's step one. All right. This is not a business school class. You might need to go take one if, if you need to figure that stuff out, but go to YouTube. If you want to figure out what a good business plan for a, a real estate agent looks like, there's lots of people on there to listen to, yeah. or frankly, listen to Randy. He's got it figured out. Um, and the, here's the second piece. Okay. The second piece is this business is not about transactions. It's about relationships. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Relationships create transactions, but the activity of building those relationships is something that has to happen all the time to get to those transactions. So when you, when you think about this, my second question, besides pulling out your business plan would be pull out your customer list. Hmm. You should be able to see your customer list from A to Z, you know, call it a CRM if you want, Go hit print and look at it and go through with a highlighter or a pencil or a pen or just on your computer screen or whatever, make a new column next to the names and put an indication if you've talked to that person in the last two weeks. Or if you zero for most people. Exactly. Unless they're, they're just, calling them or ha having an immediate need. Right. They're waiting for like some greater being to drop this transaction in their lap. Right. And they're like, yes, I got another listing or I got a listing appointment today. Yay! They run around the office. I got a listing appointment. I got a listing appointment. I got a listing appointment. And, you know, everybody else is like, I'm still waiting for, you know, the listing God to show up and drop one for me. Or I'm going to, you know, write a check to a portal or, you know, figure out some other way. It's about relationships. The first and second level relationships, first level relationship obviously is with the customer. Second level is with somebody who delivers you the customer. And, you know, they're both incredibly important. Work your network, but know who's in your network and keep that list clean and keep growing it. You know, we always talk about, you know, back in the day, the rule was take, you know, 10 business cards or 20 business cards mm -hmm. and go out. And that must be handed to somebody individually where you get their name and phone number in return because most people didn't have emails then or whatever it was. 
And once you've done that with 10 or 20 people, then you can go do something else during your day, which typically was door knocking or whatever it might be. But ultimately it came down to go build 10 to 20 relationships or begin 10 to 20 relationships a day. People are still buying and selling houses. I mentioned, you know, we're below the, the core four, mm -hmm. the 4 million people that are selling a house, but ultimately we're rebounding from that folks. And it's January. So guess what? There's more than that out there now. 2024 is the rebound year for this because interest rates are going to start inching down. People are comfortable with where they're at right now. Right. We get You're to right. this point where we're comfortable. They're comfortable with where they at. Do they want them lower? Yes. But there's deals out there. So to get ahead of that other, you know, that 40 or 50% that Randy talked about, they're going to drop off out of the industry because they're not doing this today. Get your butt out there and go build that list and get those transactions. Because here's the thing. The way the business runs, for the most part, is still the same as it ran a year ago. That's right. The changes haven't occurred yet in the industry. So you need to get some business going instead of waiting for the changes to occur. Because it's easier to change when you have transactions in the hopper than it is without them. Because you're evolving. You're not waiting. So true. So true. So Adam, I, I really, really appreciate you. And we're going to wrap up here in just a couple quick questions. But one of the things I like to ask my guests are, what are you reading right now? And, um, you know, what are you consuming? What are you looking at? And uh, that's that's kind of an important one to me. Oh, right. dude. I brought it. I literally have it on my desk. It's one of my favorites right now. All right, folks. You know, every, last year, everybody was saying Atomic Habits by James Clear, yeah. which is great. That's a great yeah. book. Yeah, I, I've read that like five times um, and I love it. I'll still go back to that, but I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, James, I love you, man. But I'm done saying Atomic Habits on podcasts because this is my new fave right here. It's called Essentialism. Yeah. It's by Greg McEwen. It's the Discipline, discipline Pursuit of Less. Okay. The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And this thing is full of incredible quotes. Um, I just finished this. This is my first book of the new year. I love it. And I'll tell you, there's, there's the difference between the non-essentialist and the essentialist. And the non-essentialist, which is like somebody who tries to do everything, says all things to all people. And the essentialist is less but better. I mean, the this... That epitomizes everything in the book. It totally does. Read. It's my morning routine read now. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you this. Just go get it. Yeah. If we're crying out loud, people. Essentialism. Um, you know, you can get it on Amazon. You can get the audio. You can get the Kindle version. I mean, go get it and read it. And if you don't want to go buy it, um, something that will make you want to buy it is go to ChatGPT and say, Give me the 10 key points in essentialism by Greg McEwen, oh, and it will it will give you some key points on it. You don't even have to read the book to get the chat GPT key points. It might make something up, who knows? But um, but the reality is after you read that, you're gonna go, I'm I'm in this book. I'm gonna go get this. So oh, that's so good. I'm I'm writing that down. I'm gonna do that. That's that's a great, great takeaway. Well, Last question, Adam. And again, we really, really appreciate you being here. I know when we chatted, I was really excited to connect with you. And, and um, you know, you're, you're a visionary. You're a leader in the industry. You're going to continue to be that way. So my last question, what impact do you want to have as you leave this world, this industry, and you move on? You know, what, what legacy, what impact do you want to have? 
Well, I, I think when you, you know, if you could sit up and look around the crowd at your funeral and ask that question, I, I think it's kind of fascinating to, to think about what you want people to say. Um, you know, yeah, I think the, the standard is, oh, he's a great guy or whatever, which we all give people the, you know, kind of the benefit of the doubt when they're gone. Um, but ultimately I think I would like for people to say that guy helped me. Mm. And I mean, that's when you look at it, why do you do what you do? You, you should be doing what you do because it's helpful to others. And if we all gave in society, I, I think it would be a better place. Um, it was, it was funny. My wife and I, the other evening we went to, uh, uh, Qdoba for dinner and, you know, just something quick, you know, something with protein in it, whatever it is. And we went, when we pulled up, there was a bicycle sitting outside. It was like 12 degrees out, by the way, I live in Colorado <laughs> and there was a bicycle sitting outside. I'm like, it's 12 degrees out, but it had like, you know, shopping bags hanging all over it, stuff yeah. like that. I'm like, it's definitely a homeless person's bike. Yeah. And we went in and there was like two other tables that had people at, and back in the corner was one of them. And it was a guy sitting there and he didn't have any branded materials on his table, nothing from Qdoba. And, um, Kelly and I were, we had dinner. I, I sat down, I make eye contact with, or I at least check everybody out in the room. Call me a cop still, but I, I check everybody out. Straight eye contact with the wall, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I told you, I sit from the military. I got to see the door. Okay. Um, so I, I make eye contact with this guy and he kind of gave me the head nod and I'm like, you could just tell he wears his feelings on his sleeves. Really nice guy. And he just went back to what he was doing, which was sitting there looking at his phone. He had his headphones in mm -hmm. and Kelly and I had our, our, our dinner and then we left and we were pulling out of the parking lot. We both look at each other and we're like, I feel sorry for that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be four degrees tonight. I feel bad for him. And he wasn't even eating dinner. He had this like, um, like a Gatorade bottle or something mm -hmm. in front of him. So, um, I, I make a U-turn in the middle of the street and drive back in there and walked up to the counter. And, um, the lady was mopping behind the cash register. Again, it was, it was empty at this point. It was, this guy was sitting over there yeah. and I said, um, she knew that I was just in there and you know, I'm sure she's thinking, great, here comes no the problem. complaint. So, um, so I walk in and I, I smile and I go, uh, I see they had a little stack of gift cards sitting there. So I put one of those down. I said, why don't you give me 20 bucks on this? And she goes, okay. And then I gave her a big fat tip for it. And, um, Gary, the guy who helped us, I remember his name because he was super nice. He turned over and looked real quick. And then she, I, I grabbed the card and I walk over and I start giving, I walk up to this guy sitting in the corner and I see over my shoulder, I see her pointing at me and, uh, talking to Gary and she was kind of smiling a little bit and they were nodding. And I, I look at this gentleman and I said, excuse, excuse me, sir. He goes, yes, sir. I said, um, is that your bicycle outside? He goes, why, yes, sir, it is. I said, okay, well, why don't you get yourself some dinner on me tonight? And I just handed him the $20 gift card. And his face lit up. And I'm just, it cost me 25 bucks with a tip. And I'm like, all right, this, I just, you know, you could feel your heart warming up by yeah. doing this. My wife's practically in tears standing there. I'm practically in tears standing there. And he, he reaches out and shakes his hand and says, thank you, God bless you. Mm. to both of us introduced himself. And I'm like, um, and he, you could tell he's getting a little antsy in his seat. So I'm like, all right, well have a good evening. Enjoy your dinner. He's like, thank you. 
I've never seen somebody walk to the order place at Cubedoba so quickly with a big smile on their face as this guy. And Gary jumped up and started helping him. It's so good. I mean, it was just pulling away. So good. It felt so good. Go yeah. do something for somebody, folks. Go do something good for somebody. And it could be little. It could be little. Tiny. I love that. I'm so glad we ended on that story, man. You are a uh, fine human being. I appreciate knowing you and all the things you've been to me. And, you know, you really were probably the catalyst of, of my direction in the real estate business. And 20 years ago, I, I just appreciate with that. Um, you know, Adam, thank you for being here. I know you're a, a busy guy. And I just appreciate all you do and, and the things you do to contribute and give back. And that final story is a great um, way to leave it. Go out there. If you're listening to this, go out there, listen to this podcast and go do something good. It could be something as simple as giving somebody a free lunch or buying them something or giving them a coat. I love taking coats out of my backseat and handing it to people during the winter. It doesn't matter what the coat meant to me. It means everything to me and them at that moment. So Adam, thank you for being here. I appreciate you, Randy. you very, very much. Uh, thank you for all you do and all you do to contribute to the industry. And again, last time, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? Uh, you can find me on the social media networks, Adam Contos, CEO. Here's here's one. Go to adamcontos.com, my website, Perfect. and you, you can Perfect. find me every place there. Perfect. And area15ventures.com. Yep. Uh, love you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. Merry, uh, happy holidays. Uh, happy New Year. We got Easter coming up, Valentine's Day, everything else. But uh, thank you for being here. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Randy. And I appreciate your time.